Hello, welcome to Unprecedented Women, the podcast sharing incredible stories of women who paved their own way in the world of work. Stories that will inspire you to have the confidence to be visible, take action and to play big, because what's the best that can happen? I'm Jess Audsley, we're all pioneers and we are all unprecedented. Hi, and welcome to a special episode of the podcast. Today we are turning the tables around a little bit, and I have Rachel Vaughan Jones with me. Now, Rachel and I met through uh, a female network called Real Work. She is a marketing partner for SMEs and also the founder of Jackson Jones Small Batch Whiskey. Um, Rachel has years and years and years of experience in the drinks industry, and she also has a podcast called uh, Building Liquid. But before we kick things off, I wanted to go back to the quote from Glennon Doyle after which this podcast is named. And it goes, every life is an unprecedented experiment. This life is mine alone. So I have stopped asking people for directions to places they've never been. There is no map. We are all pioneers. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I feel pretty uh, honoured to have been asked to help you to tell your career story. I know you've talked to some absolutely incredible, unprecedented, groundbreaking women on your podcast so far, but you've also got a pretty inspirational story of your own to tell. So I'm here to kind of hopefully help you tell that story. Um, Before we kind of talk more into the here and now, take me all the way back to kind of where your career started, because you've got also like a whole breadth of career under your belt. But how did you kind of start out on that path? It's funny, actually, because I was having a conversation with one of these amazing women on this podcast, Kalila Jones, and I said to her, well, I was a latecomer to business. And she scolded me afterwards after we had recorded the podcast and said, no, 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 that is so ages. Don't say that you're a latecomer to business. And that is quite interesting. But the truth is that I was very happy with my career for a very, very long time. I got my first job. I can't even say straight out of uni. It was before I'd even finished uni. (laughs) So um, I saw an ad in the paper. Yes, that was back in the day when they actually used to print ads (laughs) in the paper. And I have it somewhere still, which is kind of fun to have. But it was a marketing assistant job for a film company. And at that point, I had already sort of done things the other way around. As soon as I graduated from high school, I knew that I wanted to leave this small town where I was raised. This small town, oh, don't believe you're bigger than your boots, don't think you're anything special, just get in line, get a job kind of town. And I just desperately wanted to get out. Um, And as one does when you graduate high school, or at least I do it, I went to New York. As you do. (laughs) As you do, exactly. Because the logic there was that I didn't have a driver's license at the time. And I thought, where can I go where they speak English and I don't have to drive? New York, Manhattan. That was it. This was the logic of a 19-year-old who had just graduated from high school. It's pretty logical, right? (laughs) It makes a lot of sense. (laughs) The foolishness of youth, right? But in the end, it was a great great decision. Um, And this was back in the day when one was able to do this. So I had already sort of spent two years in in New York and I ended up getting a job in a 
in a marketing agency, uh, very mad men, but in the 1990s instead of the 1960s. And then when I came back, I went to uni and hadn't even finished uni before I got other job as marketing assistant for a uh, film company. And this was really a massive learning curve as anybody's first job is really. But I hadn't been there for that long when the current head of press and PR left. And I was asked by the CEO if I wanted to take on the role, which I did. So for a few years, I ran all the premieres and all the press screenings. And I traveled um, all over to do press junkets in Europe for Disney and things like that. Remember being single in a hotel in Monaco, lying by the pool and being like 25 years old. It was great. I mean, there was lots of hard work as well around it. I was always working as you tend to do in these early sort of stages of your career to prove your worth right <laughs> and then I ended up working for another film company ended up at the Royal Opera in Stockholm doing nice. marketing and marketing department there which was amazing like just as you imagine like l having lunch with like ballerinas and opera singers around you but it, I felt like I wasn't done I owned my ha I owned a flat in central Stockholm that I bought and I had a boyfriend he broke up with me I was heartbroken and I just really felt like I wasn't done so I I wanted to go abroad and I, I looked for an opportunity saw an opportunity and literally within a month I had moved from Stockholm to London and I ended up working in the marketing department for Discovery the TV network or I should say press and PR really because it was more really focused on PR at that time and that was when people ask me about my career sometimes in interviews people say what's the most you know rewarding fun job you've ever had and it was that because there was like 20 or 25 of us we were just about the same age male and female mainly female because PR you know and we were had the world divided between us so we were covering the whole PR for the whole world for for discovery bar US because that was US managed so a big team always fun going to the pub after work and um, yeah really great fun but the first months in London I was terribly terribly alone everybody sort of went out to the pub afterwards and I didn't know anybody I didn't dare ask can I come with you and then people scattered and then I was alone for the whole weekend um and yeah that was that was interesting and I ended up uh changing career parts a little bit along along my career as well so for a bit I met my husband who's an interior designer who designs hotels and restaurants and I wanted to do something different so he said why don't you just like do something in interiors so I took a sort of career break and ended up working in a Scandinavian design shop and within three months I was a store manager this, this is the story of my life like literally if I'm in a group and nobody takes charge of things I am I cannot help myself I'm the person <laughs> who does that I will always be the one like you know organizing things it's the yeah i was born a project manager basically if there is no project i'll find one and i work then in interior design also uh working with interior designers and selling design furniture and then i came back to pr and comms so yeah almost 20 years of pr and communication and then a little bit of interior design thrown in in the middle 
Well, people listening to the podcast won't be able to see this, but I can tell from your video that you must have had <laughs> some sort of interest in interiors because you've got a very beautiful background behind you. Perfectly styled. Even if I hadn't had that, then I would have gotten it intravenously by marrying my husband, James, yeah. because, <laughs> you know, it's he can't help it. It's, it's just the way that he is. So he's in charge of most of the styling in the house. Yeah. I'd love to take a nosy round one day. So it sounds as if even from a very early stage, you were talking about your, you know, that very first job where you were an assistant and then the person left and you were instantly kind of stepped up and you were in charge of managing everything within that business. It sounds like you've always been able to step up and it's quite brave. And also the fact that you're talking about, you know, the logical step was to move to New York and then the next step was to move to London. And that's quite a brave thing to do right to leave behind your small town in Sweden and and head to a completely different city and in the days before the sort of safety blanket of you know social media as it were so would you class yourself as being do you feel brave gosh that's a really good question I find it really hard to give myself definition like that but in hindsight yes I think I am. I think I am brave because, I mean, I was the only one who did it, <laughs> you know, out of the people. I was the only one who thought that big, that that was a possibility for me. And I think that that is the mindset thing already showing itself, even though I wasn't actively working on mindset. Did they, had they even invented that word in the mid nineties? I don't know, but, you know, I, I definitely remember growing up and have, having convictions and dreams and visions of my what I wanted to do and I think that what I subsequently then ended up doing which is leaving employment to start a business midlife is also brave and where do you think that came from you kind of said then you know there was already that mindset when I was growing up that you know I, I saw this life for myself I wanted to go out and get it where do you think that came from well, the interesting thing is that you know how there's the loads of data that shows that children of, of entrepreneurs and business owners tend to become, you know, and, and it, that's not, you know, that's not, I've, there's families where there's doctors for generations, for instance, you know, whatever profession. Um, we are not a particularly entrepreneurial family. My mum would be the first one to hold up her hand and say that. My grandparents were immigrants who came to Sweden from Finland in the 1950s. Um, you'd think those countries were quite similar. They're not. Uh, completely different languages, come from different language trees, uh, don't really understand each other. And also that part of Finland that my grandfather came from had been in the, in the shade of Russia uh, or the Soviet Union back then for decades. The part of Finland where my grandfather was born is actually Russian today because they took that territory back. So you can only imagine what kind of, you know, uh, people would go out into the woods picking berries and never come back. And nobody would know where they had ever disappeared to. Whole families disappeared that way. And, you know, you can only guess that that they came too close to what was then the Russian border. So after the war, Finland had a great war debt to the Soviet Union, and it was a very poor country. And in Sweden, there were loads of opportunities. And, you know, around particularly this area where I actually have ended up living again, even though I swore I would never, was particularly full of industry and factories and all of that. So my grandparents came here to create a better life for themselves. And I think that that's also in itself 
brave thing to do. So that part I definitely have from them. And then my grandfather was raised by two women. He's an was an illegitimate child. Um, his mother wasn't married. She had an affair with an officer in the army who already had a family, was already married and wasn't going to leave his wife, which you didn't do back then anyway. So she, finding out she was pregnant, decided in a time and place where that was nigh on impossible to raise this child with her sister on her own. So my grandfather was raised by two incredibly strong women. So I think in our family, the strength of the women really comes as a as a thread. And I think I'm a I'm the product of that as well. And in terms of being a woman in business, obviously now you're earning on your own terms and we'll talk about kind of the steps, the things that happened to drive you to that point where you decided to just break free of those big businesses and, and earn on your own terms. But have you found that being a woman in the world of work has changed since those days of packing up your bags, shipping off to New York, flying over to London, hanging out in kind of groups and being really excited to now? Do you think that things have changed? They have changed because progress happens continually, um, one would hope, but they haven't changed as much as I would like. And I believe in equality. I believe in differences between the genders. And this was never meant to be a show in any way, shape or form where we go and, and talk about how bad men are. It's not about that. I love men, I always have. But there is... There is a basic level of inequality in our world. We live in a patriarchal system. Anyone who denies that is denying our reality. And there are biological differences and there are psychological differences and there are systematic societal differences between the genders. And I will not see equality in my lifetime and I don't know if my daughters will. And I remember that my mum always said to me, I won't see equality in my lifetime. And now I'm the one saying it. And we live in one of the most equal countries in the world and yet it's not equal in Sweden. It's a perception that people have, but it's not true. So yes, things have changed throughout the decade. I mean, me too. My God, what did that do for for the world? That fundamentally gave women a voice to actually raise their voices and say, you know, this is not okay. I've been silent about things like that, which I didn't even realize really what they were until Me Too happened. And you have to take a look in the mirror and said, have I experienced this? And it's like, oh my God, yes, I have. This happened to me in the beginning of my career, you know? So of course there is progress but not enough. And it's interesting the journey that women go through, right? Because you're born female and you don't think that there are any inequalities in the world. You kind of go through your childhood thinking that you don't think anything. It's just boys and girls existing together. And then there comes a point in your life and it will be a different time for everybody where suddenly you realise hang on a second, something isn't quite right here. Um, I mean, for me, I was really lucky. My mum brought me up and my mum's incredible woman. You know, she's got an MBE for services to education. She's just doing amazing things, a great role model. So I'd kind of got to the point, actually, to probably it was, you know, the first, second year of my career where I just thought that every, I didn't think there were any issues. And then I remember being in the big kind of company that I worked for every year they did this big results reveal where they'd get all of the company about 500 people 
into a big function room in the hotel next door and they'd have you know the senior leadership team from Paris would come over and they'd all stand on the on the stage and they'd present the results from from the past year and I remember standing in the audience and then looking up at the stage and it being a kind of a row of seven or eight white middle-aged men and thinking hang on a second something isn't quite right here what is going on and it wasn't until that point really that it sort of smacked me in the face quite hard of thinking hang on a second I'm in this business and thinking that I could be there can I not be there because I can't see myself there so it's interesting that process that you have to go through you kind of grow up and then and then you realize okay something something is is not quite as it should be the issue I think is is goes all the way back to kind of how we raise our daughters. That's kind of, and how we raise our, our, our sons as well. There's a really fantastic TED talk by a founder of a female network called Business and Dreams, Camilla Lundin. And she talks about the concept of good girls. So she was raised by parents that were psychiatrists and her mum went out of her way to never call her a good girl because a good girl symbolizes that you nail it on the first go. That's what good girls do. Good girls nail school, they nail all the tests, they get great results, they get into uni on the first try, they uh, never fail, you know, they never fall and have to get up again. Whereas data also shows that with with girls, we are we have such a larger propensity to go, oh, sweetheart, you know, oh, be careful, uh, be careful next time so you don't fall over. But with boys, we go, oh, that's okay, don't worry, you'll try again. And we need to change that narrative because, I mean, that's the narrative that I grew up in, that you're a good girl and you nail it. And I, I want desperately to raise my daughters in the narrative of conviction and try it, growth mindset, fail and then try again because life is a continual learning curve. You will not nail it. And what's the great thing about nailing it anyway? I mean, this this is what this is the podcast is about. It's about failure. Failure teaches you more than success. So for me, it's it's it starts there, and then it goes all the way on to how women are treated in the workplace. So my first experience was exactly that. It was a manager who was not my manager, but on a managerial level, so senior to me, who pursued me. He was married. <laughs> you know but he would pursue me in not an aggressive way but he would leave a rose on my desk Ooh. he would send me text messages no you know thanks. things like that things that didn't belong in the workplace but I hadn't created those kind of barriers and those kinds of no this is not okay you know so I was like you're a woman. It's kind of what happens, you know. Is it my fault, you know? Did I invite this somehow, you know? That whole narrative. And then after I had worked there for a good few years, I was called into a meeting completely unprepared. And in a power move, I recognize afterwards, these three men, white, middle-aged men with power, sat down next to each other behind a desk and invited me to sit opposite them. And then they said we want you to step down from the role you're currently in into the role you had before your promotion. And I said, why, what have I done? And they said, oh, it's not, ab it's not about that. We just think that this would really be the right move. And I said, would it be the right move for you? 
because I don't think it would be the right move for me. And I can laugh about it now, but at the time it was horrible. And tears started rolling down my face. I remember that because I was completely intimidated and it was awful. Um, and then I, I remember getting something from somewhere, my finished Sisu, as you call the finished strength. It came into me and I looked at them in the face and in the eyes and I said, I think you want to get rid of me. And there was no comment then. And then I said, okay, my best friend's a lawyer. Her husband's a lawyer as well. Uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to go now and I'm going to phone my lawyer and I'll come back to you tomorrow. But right now I have to go. And I walked out of the room and negotiated with the help of my friend. I think that was my kind of like, really, wow. You know, that is that the way that we treat each other like human beings like not even gender just like human beings um and my my boss in that job used to say to me oh you know there was nine you know your pop job was so, so popular there was 900 applicants and and you know if if you don't kind of do this then you know there's people lining up around the block to take your job and somewhere I found the spine to turn around to him and say, yes, but you hired me. Yeah, and hired you for a reason. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, a couple of really, those are really horrific examples, but those were very early in my career. So, yeah, I never really, I was never naive about the differences between men and women in the industry I was in as well, in the film industry. When you reach the higher levels, um, it's definitely extremely male-dominated, I mean, look at the way that Hollywood is, you know, a lot of white, male, middle-aged, rich producers and heads of, of film companies making movies and saying things like, no, we can't make a movie with a female lead because nobody will go and watch it. Those are the narratives and they are not true. They're not true. And Reese Witherspoon has showed that with her production company where she's making amazing movies all about women and people of color and they are blockbusters and people do go to see them so it is a choice by the absolute top layer of hollywood to create a narrative that this won't work commercially because it suits them and and those are the kind of systematic changes that we need to have and what can we be doing, you know, if you think of where you were in that position for any women who might be listening to the podcast and thinking that they're experiencing something similar, like what would be your advice to those people? This is, uh, I'm not going to say that this is right for everybody, but this is what I've learned in my life is that if you have strong convictions, which I do, about things that are important to me and I have values then you need to be really careful when you take a position, take a job. That interview is not just for you to get the job. That interview is for you to interview them to figure out, is this a business I want to work for? 100%. Could my set of values fit into the values that they have? Now, the problem is that a lot of businesses have a lot of really nice values that they put on the wall, but they don't live it. So you've got to try and get a feel for the actual work environment. And then more than anything, when you choose a job, don't just choose a job, choose your manager. Because the manager wields a lot of power over you when you're an employee and you can never get around them. 
So, you know, there's a lot of things that I would sit down and I would do the work now. I would look at like, what is it that's important to me and try to find that. So for me, it came to a place where I was like, I cannot longer be employed. I am not employable anymore. And that was the last job I had when I realized that this is it. I can't, I can't, I can't do it anymore. And that was a kind of like the actions were brave, but to me, it wasn't much a choice as much as it was a conviction that if I can't do this and I can't do that, then I have to go in this direction. And what do you mean when you say unemployable? What does that, that mean when you say that? <laughs> I have such strong convictions. One of the first things I did in my business is that I hired a brand strategist and people are like, what? Like, that's, don't you need a website or clients first? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, what I need is a brand strategist. And I don't, I, I did that on gut, but it was the right thing to do because what that did for me is that it absolutely made the why in my business so crystal clear that I knew who I served, why I served them and with what value. I served them. It clarified the services. It clarified the website copy. It clarified my social media strategy. It built everything on top of that. So if you're not, I can see that so much in businesses that when you're not crystal clear about what, what you do and why you do it, which is the most important thing, why you do it, then you will have trouble getting to the answers of these questions. Um, so those values are just really super important for me and that's what I mean when I say I'm unemployable because I think I would really struggle to find a business that would work every single organization I've ever worked with has moved far too slow for my liking yeah nothing ever happens there's a lot of meetings and we don't ever get to like do what we are trying to do there's a lot of admin a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of meetings and I just I am impatient and I feel like life is too short and I just want to get shit done yeah and too many stakeholders it takes like 10 people to make a decision that one person could make before you know you've ended up with some bastardized Frankenstein of a project that isn't delivering the original objectives and I completely agree that's one of the reasons I think I thrive in working for myself and also in small businesses is that exact thing it's just like get shit done right <laughs> yeah and you see results of your work very quickly you get feedback very quickly I did a session last week for a tech startup I was six marketing managers mid-20s where they have very outward facing roles and I remember what I was like in my mid-20s I didn't feel confident enough to show up and be visible with confidence so the whole session was about public speaking but before we even got to that part we started talking about okay confidence what is it and how do we get there and busting myths like believing like this is stuff that anybody's good at you know don't look at a baby and go wow that baby's born to be a speaker no it's like something we have to and of course some people have the propensity to to learn these things quicker and become really fantastic at that but it's that stuff where you get the feedback straight away so after this session you know I get feedback straight away of what these women thought about it and how it changed their day and they send me dms and say hey you know I I did this thing today and they send me a picture of them doing a, a, a speech and I thought about what you said and that really changed my day. And, you know, that's having a, an actual impact on people's lives yeah, straight away. And I love that. That's so much more fulfilling than, 
you know, getting a response from a manager saying like, you know, good job. It's you leading your own path and having real live impact on other people, people taking that forward. Yeah. Which is way more fulfilling. It's incredibly fulfilling. And the only thing that I do is that I'm a conduit and I serve other female founders. So if I work with somebody, I am in a hundred percent. I want you to succeed because it becomes my success when you succeed, right? And I want to give people the tools and the power to create that for themselves rather than offer services where I'm, you know, I'm doing it for them. Um, that's why I love doing speaking and training and, and, you know, being in an advisory role like that, because it gives me, gives me such meaning to do that. And you've got, I mean, you can even hear it when you talk now and we've spoken before, and this is something that always comes across is the passion and the energy and it's an overused word, but the vibe, like you're, you have this amazing energy, but I know that it wasn't always like that. And it it came as the result of being actually in quite a dark place. Talk me through that kind of that experience that you had, that you had to go through almost to get to where you are now. Well, I was in the hands when I say that you give away your power a little bit when you're employed. Um, I was in the hands of a narcissistic personality And to break things down when it comes to narcissism is that narcissistic people are very much, uh, they have incredibly low uh, self-esteem and they put on a really thick layer to disguise their uh, insecurities. And that layer is often masked as grandiosity or, you know, that they're really, really confident. They tend to be a bit cocky, self-assured. Um, And they also, and this is really key, they utterly and completely lack empathy. So you can hear when I describe that personality, that is not easy to deal with. And I think it's really interesting when you unpack this, because in our society today, the occurrence of narcissistic behavior, sociopathy, and even actually psychopathy is much, much more common in managerial positions than it is in the general population so as a society we are actually encouraging this type of behavior and these type of personality types in the way that we look at leadership and I find that really scary and I think we need new different types role models for leadership we need people who put other types of values ahead of the values that we've held high for very many years Um, like working yourself to the bone is not a conducive work environment. The amount of hours that you put in and the time that you spend in the office has nothing to do with your output. And still employers have so much to do when it comes to trusting their employees. So I'm a person who gets it done, right? And that can be intimidating for people. If you're smart, then you're a person who takes advantage of that. Yep. Uh, And you sit back and you're like, I'm just going to let her do this and then I can take the credit. But that's not what happened. What happened was that it became a head to head where you are so similar in the sense that my strengths was this person's weaknesses. And that made the person feel insecure. And when they're feeling like the opposite, right? Yeah. And when the opposite. 
yeah and when they're feet and it worked for a while until it didn't anymore and if you're assured of yourself and you're cool calm and collected you'll let somebody like me run off and be the Duracell bunny and get the work done but instead you try to yield power over somebody and what that in turn turns into is that you're trying to make somebody feel small all the time and it's about these types of techniques and I, I would really be interested to hear from listeners about this these types of techniques so we call in Swedish we call them ruler techniques is when we have these personalities that use these techniques and they might not even be aware of them themselves most people and that's the thing is that narcissistic people they don't have the self insight so when you and me we might we think about it all the time how am i looking feeling to other people how am i acting could i do that better da, da, da. they have no insight they have no interest in going beyond this layer at all and that's where the non-empathy comes from so it was a lot like agreeing on something between four eyes turning around and then hearing a conversation hearing yeah Jessica suggested this but I've told her it's completely you know it's not or setting goals for me that were impossible for me to reach they were not even reasonable often when I give examples of the reality that I was in of every day then people are like you got to be joking and I'm thinking to myself that's one day and one example so it was like a constant barrage of it and my psychologist said to me you have a version of PTSD because you've gone through this thing I don't like to call it a trauma because I think I don't feel like I can own that word but it was certainly a period of my life that was very difficult and what happened it takes time to get over but yes I used to sit in my car and cry on a daily basis before I went into work I was utterly and completely miserable and I didn't know what to do I was I was at a loss as to how to deal with it and it's about trust as well right you've got someone you work with and they're saying one thing to your face turning around and doing another you can't trust them to be looking after your welfare kind of listening to your opinion and that can really affect, that's human behavior. Like as humans, we need to trust each other and feel security. And, and that's, you know, that's how we thrive. So having that ripped away from you, not being a part of your daily working life can be, can be really traumatic. There was, there was an enormous amount of gaslighting going on as well. And this is, I've understood now as I've, you know, learned more about this, that I, used to like the definition of gaslighting is that when you start getting to that point of wanting to have proof I need to write this down I need to record this that was me um, I need to show look this is what you said like I have evidence sort of thing that's being gaslighted and what that does is that it makes you question your own sanity you go straight back to yourself and you go maybe I imagined it maybe I'm wrong maybe this isn't happening and it drives you crazy when you cannot trust yourself and you realize how wrong that is for another human being to do this and everybody who's been subjected to gaslighting knows that this is something that can happen in any relationship it's not even just re related to work where humans are gaslighting occur and 99% of gaslighting victims are women and I think that says something really yeah definitely not surprised by that statistic but actually the fact that now we have a name for it you know this is something yeah. that's been happening for so long it's so helpful to have a name for it <laughs> 
But when, when we have a name for it, we can also get people, particularly maybe not narcissists, but we can get some people that are doing this to question their own behavior and say, wow, I didn't even realize I was doing that. But being thrown under the bus was part and parcel of my existence. It happened all the time. It was expected. But it's that not knowing what's going to happen next, that was the most traumatic for me. And if you could go back now, the place you're in now uh, and your experiences now and give yourself then one piece of advice or do one thing differently, what would you do? I would say leave. Sooner. You would get out sooner. You know what? I don't know. And that is the thing with looking at what has been and comparing it to what is now and what is coming is that we spend enough energy looking at what has been, which is something that we can never change. We can never change. I, I am a big fan of like forgiving and moving on. Work through it. And if you can find forgiveness, forgive yourself and forgive others and then move on. Because looking back and analyzing stuff and thinking I should have done this, that or the other, trust me, I've done enough of that. Like there's just no point in any of that. It's such good advice. It's such good advice. And I, that's something I wish I was better at. If I had to pick out, you know, things that I would, I would like to improve on, it's kind of being able to just leave things in the past. And it's generally, it's those, you know, insomnia nights when suddenly you'll be tossing and turning and something will pop up that happened, you know, two years ago, usually in work capacities, actually, and, you know, things that have happened or things that people said and, you know, gaslighting or whatever and you just I, I find it personally quite hard to leave those things in the past so but I agree it's it, it's not helpful to keep going over those things if you've if you've learned anything that you can learn from it it's it is better to just move on it's that self-talk isn't it the thing is that I've become so aware of you know my mindset and the way that that I deal with the thoughts in my head because we are so defined by what we think are we are not our thoughts but we let them define us I've spent so much time thinking about things like this and I just don't have that time anymore I'm just always moving forward and that's not to say you should run away from things I mean deal with them but don't lie there years afterwards something happened and go over it in your head during the those insomniac nights because that behavior doesn't serve you so I'm very aware now where I look at the patterns of behavior that I have in my life and I think it is this serving me and if it isn't serving me that I drop it like it's hot and I move on and the thing is that I turn this around by thinking to myself about how grateful I am that this happened to me sounds weird after like six years of pain but the thing is that if it had been just a little bit bad maybe I'd still be there. But because it was so bad, it made me who I am today. And going through that made me aware of all of these things, of these kinds of behavior or kind of the techniques that people use in the workplace, whether they know it or not, about bad leadership, about good leadership, about like having an executive board that is full of nothing but white middle-aged men and how wrong that is when you look at the way that our world looks today. And to, 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 to know what toxic male-driven environments are like and to know that that does not work. People are better together all different kinds of people. And what these companies have is men who want to stay in power and they're completely unaware of their own bias. 
they are completely unaware of it. So they think they're, they're equal until you, pu- you knock on their door and you go, you know what, have you looked at this, this and this? And they're like, oh no, I haven't really thought about that because it's always been like this. And I go rock up to work or to the golf club and people treat me like this. I never really thought about people treating me any other way. So these hidden biases that we have, and I can draw parallels to the, you know, being a person of, of color as well, when you're desperately going, the world doesn't look the same for me as it does for you white people, you know? And we then have to educate ourselves and understand what it's like to be on the other side. And I, this has to do with empathy. And I just think that if the world, if people try to develop themselves and understand the people around them a lot more, then it would be a better place. Yeah, it's, and that's generally going again back to sort of humanity, being good human beings, being curious about other human beings on an intellectual and emotional level. And as you say, those things that you go through, you know, your six years of, of quite frankly, shit, you know, it makes you stronger, it makes you more resilient, but it also makes you appreciate things more gives you a fire in your belly i like to always think that you know anything that might have happened in the past and in my life has has given that real given me that fuel to kind of keep pushing forward keep propelling towards the next thing i think this is why i have what you're referring to as my energy or my vibe it was born out of 20 years in a career where i had people mistreat me and Listen, it's not just men, okay? I have seen women have poor management skills, poor leadership skills, lack of empathy, all that jazz as well. So it's not just just men, but my experience was mainly that. Um, but I think all that has led me to the point where I am today, where I can be an advocate for other female founders, where I can serve them, help them, empower them, but at the same time be... Uh, having the freedom as you do as an entrepreneur to speak my truth and to be hopefully a role model for my children to to show them that it's okay you don't have to literally go to a job work nine to five do exactly what you were told feel unfulfilled because you look at the data and it's frankly it's so sad when you see the percentages of people who are unhappy in their employment and why do we then have you know, so few women running businesses because, well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is that women give in to their fear too much. And I was one of those. I was dead scared of leaving. I didn't believe that I had power in my own life in the way that I do now. And I had created a prison in my head, which was all fiction. But it was the story I told myself, the narrative. And when I changed the narrative slowly but surely, I also changed and and was able to be who I am. So in workplaces where I've been told, oh, be quiet, you're too much. You know, you've got a too strong a personality. You should smile more. You look so uh, so grumpy. And, you oh, know, that is the kicker, isn't it? That is the kicker. Yeah, nights when you smile. Do I walk around the hallways of this this workplace and go up to men and go, you should smile more. You'd look cuter if you smiled more. Yeah. It's insane. But yet somehow that's okay, you know. Um, 
because it's not obviously it's not okay but the amount of times you hear that that stuff and you know or this one this one's this one's uh, the cracker um yeah there's a new consultant coming in you know she's so and so but you won't like her because you, we know what you women are like you're always at each other's throats it's just it, it's infuriating isn't it and i think you know you don't know what to do with that because it's so wrong that you're just like wow i can't even like i don't even know how to start with that but it's like on one hand we're supposed to all walk around the office with a beaming smile on our faces like stepford wives how creepy would that be if you were walking around an office and all the women were just had massive smiles on their face i would be weirded out and it's like you expect us to be like that but then also you think we're gonna scratch each other's eyes out if anyone else is female working in the vicinity it's absolute madness and it's these kinds of narratives that women then buy into and believe that women can't work together or collaborate or be in networks together because there's scarcity and there's not enough work for everybody and we're all, you know, fighting for survival and all of those things because that's what women are like and it is not true. It is not true. That can be true if you, if you want to position yourself like that. You want to be in that kind of space. But I think you have a choice in your life to put yourself in the space that you want to be in. We all have responsibility to be the change that we want to see in the world, right? So when we're pushed into other people's narratives, like you should smile more, or, you know, this is the way women are, we resent that because we know it's not true. What do you see as like the future? You've got your daughters and you've also got a son, so. I do, yeah. Do you think that, I mean, I think it's fantastic that he has you as a role model. I think it's also important. I've I've heard you say before that, you know, you, you had your son and you kind of weren't worried about him because you knew that he'd have an okay time. But actually, it's important also that, you know, men growing up understand the position of women and the equality that women deserve. So how does that kind of work in your family dynamic? I wasn't worried about him when it comes to how the world would treat him. I had a boy and I wanted to have a boy because I have a brother and then I have two cousins who are also boys, men today. So I, growing up, I was surrounded by boys and I felt that that was comfortable territory for me. So I was hoping when I found out I was pregnant by surprise that it was a boy and it was a boy. And I remember feeling like, oh, he's going to be okay in the world. The world is going to, you know, take care of him the way that the world takes care of men, you know. But what I was acutely aware of, though, is that I wanted him to go out into the world equipped with the knowledge of what it's like for women. Because when men understand women and where we're coming from and when we are more equal, then it changes the dynamic so my husband and I, we have a very uh, equal relationship. We share our finances. We both have businesses. Sometimes he does well, sometimes he does worse. Sometimes I do well. It's all this push and pull always with energy, with money, with parenting, with everything. And I wouldn't want it any other way. It is a partnership. We chose to be together. We choose each other every day to be together. And I wanted to be in a place where I was empowered, where I was empowering the other person to follow their dreams and their passions and what they want to do. And that's that's what we have. So I think the partnership in itself is hopefully a role model for relationships for our children. But then I wanted, I was acutely aware of, you know, how boys are raised. So I wanted to really, um, I guess, raise my son in an unconventional way in the sense that, 
I, I make him aware of the narratives that women and men are treated differently in society and this is why and this is what it looks like. I invite him into conversation about what it's like to be a woman. You know, that our hormonal cycles are a month long, give or take, whereas men's hormonal cycles are 24. So it's easier in a sense for the, them to show up consistently because they're re repeating this sort of 24 hour cycle over and over again. Whereas for women, we're biologically different. So we're talking about these kind of things and then for him to be aware of the narratives as well. Uh, whereas with the girls, I guess the thought of having two, two teenage girls just scare the crap out of me when they were born and I thought I have to lay the foundations now in my parenting with them so that they go out into the world knowing what I didn't know so if they ever get comments like that or if this ever happens to them in the workplace they'll have you know the tools to turn around and say that's not okay because yeah. my mama says it's not okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a powerful thing just to, you know, arm people with the, the knowledge that it's okay to call out the crap, right? I was speaking to Louise McGuan, who's the founder of JJ Corey, another fellow woman in whiskey. And that's a whole other thing about, you know, the industry that I work in. And, and she said, you know, don't underestimate the power of just calling it when you see it. Like, that's a big tool. People have gone for so long without being asked you know what do you mean by that is that what we should be saying is that okay for you do you really think that and and that actually you know I've, I've gone through many years just thinking well I'll just let it ride I'll just let it ride I'll just you know move on don't feel comfortable about that but actually empowering yourself to call things out is not only beneficial for yourself but also for the people that come behind you absolutely it, that's so true and I think just in general, making that shift, it, although it seems a small thing when somebody says something to you. So in that situation, when I was told, you know, oh, you know what women are like, you're like this, that and the other. I could have just looked at the person and said, what you're saying right now, is, is that true, do you think? Is that fair to say something like that? Have you thought, should we unpack that a little bit if you can't see that that's wrong to make that kind of judgment call? And, and we have to call it out. We really, really do. We have to call it out. And when we call things out, that's when things fundamentally change as well. So Me Too movement was so strong for me because it was women using their voices. Finally, somebody comes out and says, this happened to me. You cannot take it away. You cannot sweep it under the carpet. It's not right. And this is what happened to me. I'm owning my story. And there were loads of voices saying, yeah, but this, that and other. And it's like, nope, this was a violation and this happened to me. And then suddenly there's loads and loads of voices as well saying the same thing because this crap has been going on for decades. You know, this has been going on forever. And when we bring it out into the light, the truth shines in the light and the lies thrive in darkness so when we bring it out into the light it it loses its power there's so much shame and guilt around these things as well did i invite this it was my fault you know i wore that i went there i you know all of this blaming that women do this whole victim blaming as well it's part of a narrative you know that we have around the gender roles and jess at the start of our chat you said that 
you know, you don't expect that we'll see equality in your lifetime, which obviously we know we won't. The stats, the stats say that. Um, but do you feel optimistic? Yeah, I do, because I am fundamentally an optimistic person. Uh, but I, leave, I believe also you cannot just um, hope for change. You have to work for change. So calling it out when you see it, not accepting it when it happens to you, thinking about how you raise your children, you know, whatever. These are just my examples of what I choose to live my life, the values I live my life and my, I have them in my business too. You know, there's so many issues here. For instance, let's talk about pricing for a second, right? So we know that 28% is the number <laughs> that self-employed women earn less than their male peers. Now, the reason for this, I think, are many, but I think that one of them is that women have a hard time charging. And that is a hard one, you know? Yeah. Pricing is hard when you're self-employed. Um, and we tend, it's then, money is then connected to your worth. And if you don't believe in your worth, it's gonna be very difficult for you to charge. So as a female entrepreneur and a business owner, you have to be really firm in what you value you bring to the table and then charge a, re you know, a decent amount for it. So whatever you think that decent amount is, just double it, you know, and stand firm in that price as well. Another thing where we need to make progress is, I know that you and I talked about that before, you mentioned that in the drinks industry, did you say 46% of all businesses are funded by women, yet they get less than 1% of the funding? Yeah, so it's, I think it's 46% of the people that populate the industry, that work in the industry are female, but only 1% of the funding goes to female-led or kind of founded businesses, which is just an insane statistic. And I think it's a statistic that rings true across loads of industries yes absolutely and i mean in sweden the figure for for venture capital is essentially the same so you have got uh one percent less than one percent of venture capital funding go to um female founded businesses and the rest to either mixed or male funded businesses um there is so much that's a problem here and I've had some experts on the podcast where we've talked about this. And one of the issues is that female founders will get the kind of questions that male founders don't get, such as what are your family plans? And that's just, you know, one example. And but here's the interesting thing as well, is that it's not just white middle aged men sitting behind it, even though they're in majority in this industry, in the financial industry, it's not just them saying it, it's also women investors are asking the same thing. So we all have work to do. But what we know is that, yes, there is hope, but there is so much more that we could do. And bringing it out into the light and being aware of all of these things, you know, knowledge is power. So when we have like teenage girls who come out into society and they know about these things, then they can tackle it in themselves and in the world that they meet. But when you don't know, you don't know. That's one of the reasons behind the podcast is that I want to have, you know, I want to have a, a chat about this. I want there to be voices to be heard. And podcast is even an Another interesting example is that the majority of the podcast audience is female, but the majority of podcast hosts are male. Hmm, interesting. So we're actually in minority. 
Yeah. Whereas we listen to it the most. And again, why is that? Okay, well, we can unpack that. I'm sure there's loads of reasons, but my initial idea is that it's similar to starting your own business. It has to do with fear of visibility, fear of putting yourself out there. And I was talking to somebody today and she said, when you share your story and you find your voice as a woman, you can't stop doing it. And that's true for me because I felt that I was undervalued and told to be quiet more times than I can count in fancy meeting rooms that when I finally find my voice, I decided to use it for something like this, where we could have conversations like this. And if just one person hears this and thinks, well, if Jess doesn't think that that's right, then, then it's not right. It's not right for me either. And I'm going to do something about it. Even the smallest, tiniest little steps is a huge step forward. Yeah. So there's lots and lots of hope. And this idea around strength and vulnerability, right? That's something that you've said before. It's it's a really powerful thing to show that side of yourself and, and be open and provide that kind of guiding light for, for other women. Yeah, I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons that, you know, I want to do this podcast and this particular episode as well is because I've learned so much in this journey of mine. And if I can share that and that resonates with somebody, brilliant you know i believe that women are kind of we're meant to be together in 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 larger groups it is the way it's been historically for uh, our gender and it seems to work because i've seen in female networks the power that they have of what we can do for each other we might be on different parts we might be in different uh, steps of our journey different experiences but when women come together and support each other it's actually goosebump moments of what we can actually achieve together I always think this is a pretty hefty question, but if you don't mind me asking, because I know that you've asked it to some of your podcast guests in the past, what would you say, Jess, has been your biggest failure? I think that we need to reframe uh, what failure is, which is why I ask it in the podcast. I think we need to learn how to fail more (laughs) Uh, because we are now putting um, failure together with disaster and something that you can't come back from vulnerability shame guilt all of those things and if we reframe it that's not what it needs to be but there's plenty of failures to be honest with you at the end of the day I think that my biggest failure that was failing myself that I didn't listen to myself I was miserable and we're not talking about you know was in a bad situation and it lasted a few months and it was terrible and then I got out of it but for years and years and years I stopped listening to myself and I didn't stay true to myself and I bent my values to suit other people and I wasn't being honest with the situation and that allowed doubt and depression and all manner of things to come crawling in and it took years to get out of that. So my greatest failure also led to one of the things that I'm most proud of and that's, you know, leaving and starting my own business. So I think that that quite nicely illustrates and connects the failure to the then step that comes after that of changing because we're all capable of change. Every single day is a new 
start. And I wanted to mention also that there's a whole bunch of research uh, that shows that the practice of gratitude is something that can change anxiety levels, it can affect depression, it can raise the quality of life for people. There's all these positive things health-wise, both mental and physical health, that have been proven to have a very positive effect. There's a Harvard study that's really interesting about the power of, of gratitude. And that was one of the things that I incorporated into my own life as a practice. And that has really uh, been life-changing for me because it helps me reframe things from a negative to a positive. We are not what happens to us. We are what we do with it. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I think I will really take away from this the power of mindset is something that we know. And you mentioned it, you know, 20 years ago, did even the concept of what mindset was exist, right? And now it, it is something that we're all aware of, but it's something that I definitely need to work on more on kind of leaving things behind pushing forward and I think it's really inspirational to hear from you that you know you went through such a dark and challenging time and actually look where you are now you're one of the kind of the, you have the greatest energy of, of of the people that I know and I think it just shows the power of that mindset so that's something that I'll definitely take away from the conversation so thank you for sharing it with me and uh, I hope to catch up with you soon Thank you so much. And, and thank you so much, Rachel, for coming on and doing this show with me. It was a little bit of a different one, but it's been a ride. It's been an emotional <laughs> ride talking about all of this, but I'm, I'm glad we did it. And I, I really enjoyed it. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. You've been listening to Unprecedented Women with me, Jess Audsley. If you've been inspired by this conversation, I would love to hear from you. Please subscribe to this podcast and give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts to help spread the word. Believe it or not, it really does help. Keep in touch on Instagram, my favorite platform, and let me know your thoughts. You can find me at rocksocial underscore. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time for more chats with unprecedented women.